CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Questions podcast, presented by Fridge Wholesale Liquor, and it starts right now. Now, let's go to the WTC gig-powered studios. Here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Questions podcast, the first of a new decade. I wish we had some music put in right there, like some really dramatic music. You can. Yeah, but I'm not going to work that hard on it. That was my New Year's resolution. Work to, less. To work, work less. less. Yeah, work. Or be less diligent. Interesting. To pay less attention to the spelling of what word did I miss? Obedient. Obedient. Yeah. Golly, man, it's a rough crowd. This was hurrying. And, uh, Spelled obedient. Well, I spelled it twice. Yeah, your women means you would have spelled it wrong on the keys. Yeah, because you just do, you don't, people, you don't, you duplicate it. You, you don't. And it doesn't matter how many times I spelled or I check things. It's just. Well, it was in a headline, so it didn't get spell checked. It's a little weird quirk. Anyhow, welcome to the Questions Podcast. We're back from Memphis. I drove nine hours, nine hours through tornadoes and hurricanes and goat attacks it was in Missouri uh man and I did it and I'm I'm tired of hearing it from you guys I did it with two bathroom breaks nine hours behind the wheel I peed when we got in Missouri and I peed when we were about to leave Missouri I left the best of me in Missouri and then we were in Manhattan. It was pretty wild. We really only made two stops. Well, we made the first stop in that one right outside of Memphis, but okay. it didn't really count. Yeah, we basically made a stop three hours in, another four hours in, and then we drove the final two. It was awful. 15. It was awful. The return trip was twice ten, as long. Ten times worse than going there. It's always that way. I slept all of it. Yeah. Meanwhile, Zach, Mike co-pilot went into a coma that lasted basically from one bathroom break in Missouri to the other. He slept through all of Missouri, which isn't a bad idea. Not one. One more big thank you to Robbins Motor Company for sponsoring the Robbins Road Trip. We had a great time. The silver 2019 Dodge Durango that we traveled southward and then northward in was fantastic. I noticed as we got into Missouri, so we've gone all the way down. All we did in this vehicle was drive to Memphis and on game day, drive it to the Liberty Bowl and back and then drive back. That's all we did in the vehicle that anyone will know about. Um, And as we were coming into Missouri, I noticed that we were averaging in a Dodge Durango that had a little get up. It sounded like it was pokey, 24 miles a gallon. It was at the McDonald's in, it's like the first or last McDonald's in Missouri, depending on how you look at it. Uh, I decided I want to get home to the wife and dogs. I want to get away from these other three people in my car. We had too one, much time together. Even though one was in a coma. And I drove like a bat out of hell through Missouri and all the way down I-70 and dropped that average gas mileage to 21.2. Ah, but that's still pretty good for a SUV, a full-size SUV. It's not a giant SUV, but it's not a little SUV. Four guys, we're perfectly comfortable with all of our gear. Get into Robbins Motor Company. Ask for that silver Durango. Make sure you get some money off because Fitz sat in that chair. Not extra money, money off. That chair's those cushions are worn down a little bit. <laughs> 
Great sell. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> my, my butt hurt. I got a you know crack tip. I don't down. think there's any chair in the world that makes you <laughs> makes you comfortable. There's to gotta sit in. be one, doesn't there? <laughs> you I mean, complain about every chair you sit well, in. Well, think about it. I'm either on an airline when those things aren't those things are just designed to barely get you by. Or I'm in a car. There's got to be a chair somewhere that even with a cracked tailbone, you're like, oh, this is delightful. This is wonderful. I feel like my cheeks are on a cloud of heaven. No. Never. We're taping this podcast as the Birmingham Bowl gets ready to kick off. It has kicked off. Okay. Six and six. Damn, Boston start College. Start the game 14.56 to play. <laughs> oh, I looked down. And Cincinnati at 10 and three. Seems like an even matchup. I'm going with Cincinnati. Easy. KU beat Boston College. People forget that. Oh, yeah. And then Boston College still went to a bowl game. Whoa. Figure that one out. Wild. But this is the Questions Podcast, and it's actually sponsored by the Fridge Wholesale Liquor. It's a new year. You need new liquor. That's right. All of your liquor has expired, so either dump it out or drink it and get into the fridge and get all new liquor. It's a fresh start for a fresh year. That's a read right there. Fridge, they'll restock you for a new decade. At the corner of this and that in this town. In which we live. In which we live. And we're also sponsored by Tanners. I know this is a lot of sponsors, but it takes a lot of sponsors to make me happy. Tanners, I miss you. I love you. I will see you soon. I didn't really cheat on you with another sports bar in Memphis. What does didn't really mean? I didn't at all, actually. Yeah, I was, I was like, trying to think. Of where, what bar was a sports bar. Isn't that bar? That bar certainly wasn't a sports bar. No, I'm good. I'm good. Had delicious fish in Memphis. We'll get into we'll that. Mediocre barbecue. Because we're doing both podcasts. They're doing the questions, and then we're doing the overtime. And by golly, Jeepers, yeehaw. Let's get going with your questions from Wabash Station. You ask, we answer. His name is Zach. Go. From TN Cat, I realize hindsight is always twenty twenty, but with less than a minute to go and still having all three timeouts with Navy having a fourth and three and under a minute to go in the game, would it not have been a good idea to have used one of the timeouts there to make sure the defense was aware of all options? I mean, look, this is this is kind of where I fall on it. I would have called the timeout. I think that you call the timeout, you you get your defense ready for everything because you know in that situation you're you're expecting you're expecting another option run, but you can say, hey, be ready for the pass. Hey, be ready for like literally anything. You get a chance to get your defense set up, get them ready to to stop one last play, and you have more time if you get the ball back. Try to go win the game. That's why I would have called it. That said, I'm not going to roast him about it that much. I think he made the wrong call, but. I, I understand what he was thinking. Him. I yeah. think I understand. Well, it did cost him, but I understand what he was thinking. That, I, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. They made an assumption about Navy that the basis of which was false. They assumed, I would guess, by their posture on defense, they weren't ready for a snap. That Navy was just going to run the clock down and punt the ball. I think that was their assumption. Playing for overtime. The assumption, as I said on the postgame podcast with Brian Hanley, the assumption that Navy would do things like other Division One FBS football programs was false in its core. They don't do anything like anyone else, from their offense to their defense to how they approach fourth downs. It was actually probably more likely they were going to run a play than not. That's more in their nature. So that's why I would have taken the timeout. I would have taken the timeout for twofold. One, let's get the defense set. I believe they're going to run a play. And and basically by calling the timeout, you basically force them to run a play. They're going to go ahead and do that and try to pick up the first down and knock you out. Then it gives you two timeouts to run, to use after you get the ball if you stop them. The, the problem with what Chris Kleiman said was he wanted to have three timeouts for when they got the ball back. Well, your defense didn't appear set on for a play, and even when they snapped it, it was under 30 seconds. If they hadn't snapped it, it had been under 10 seconds. How are you going to use three timeouts in those time periods? 
You're probably not. Two would have been enough. Three would have been great if they had a first down. And then you try to stop them. You know, you had to stop them again. I don't know. It's it's easy to second guess it in hindsight. But I'm not talking about hindsight because in the press box at that moment, there were some of us saying, you've got to call the timeout. And I was included. Call the timeout. I would have. Another thing I said in the postgame, as I just steal from myself, the one thing this coaching staff needs to do most in the offseason is scout themselves. I think Chris Kleiman is a terrific fit for Kansas State. I think he's going to build the type of program that fans can be proud of. He's going to recruit the type of kids fans can be proud of. But he doesn't have enough experience in late-game situations. His teams at North Dakota State were almost always ahead late in the game and enough where it was comfortable and there weren't these decisions to make. He needs to scout himself and do a better job of figuring out this is what we got to do in this and this and this and this. And then there's plenty of other self-scouting other coaches need to do, and I'm sure we'll get into that. From Duckhook8, is there a team more vulnerable to trick plays than K-State? We seem to fall for them quite frequently. Even under Snyder, we fell victim more often than not. I don't think. I think that might be being exaggerated. It It stings because the trick play lost you the game. That's going to stick out in your mind. Let's not forget they got an interception off a trick play against Oklahoma. Yeah. And I'm, like, if K-State got beat, uh, you know, let's say they get two, two, two times a year, let's say, they got beat on trick plays. I'm not going to be upset about it. That's the point of a trick play. You're not supposed to be ready for it. Like a trick play catches you off guard. I guarantee you it happens to a lot of teams out there. I mean, you're just not watching every single team every single week. I get I get why it feels like maybe K-State gives up a lot of trick plays, but that is the nature by definition a team is going to get fooled by a trick play. This is my point reemphasized. By conventional wisdom, those are trick plays. By watching Navy and understanding what they do, those are not trick plays. That is part of their offense. They throw the ball with their slot backs. We talked about that they only had one incompletion against Army, and it wasn't from Malcolm Perry. It's because it was from a slot back. They throw The slot backs throw the ball in this offense. It's part of the offense. And that reverse, there was nothing fancy in terms of erotic play calling. I guess the word would be exotic. Erotic play calling would be, like, sexual. I mean, hey, it's hey it was definitely such, it was such a well-designed play. It might have been erotic. It was a beautiful play. Oh my goodness! Exotic play calling, normal play calling. I don't care when you end up with a fast guy on the edge and three players to block two. You're gonna score a touchdown, and they did. That was watching them run their offense in person was even different than watching it on TV, it's so which doesn't make sense, I know, but good Lord, that's so cool. How many times did you guys, and Zach, you're trying to film, follow the wrong guy? Oh, absolutely. And I thought, like, half the time the players, like, it's seven or eight it of was, the guys were like, oh, they got him. It was pretty bad for me. I was I was biting on a lot. <laughs> it was. It's amazing. They do it exceptionally well. That's why if you're supposed to tackle this guy or that guy, you go tackle him no matter what. I don't know. It, I did not envy Zach that day. I agree with Chris Kleiman. They did a good job with a quarterback who still gained more than 200 yards rushing. I it, think he didn't I, score a touchdown. He got free a couple times. He got some big chunk plays. I think his biggest damage was the fact that then he became such a distraction with the other people that you were worried about him that other people then made the plays. But I thought they did okay. K-State was probably the second best team to defend Navy in the option this year behind Notre Dame. Yeah. They held them to 20 points. I predicted Navy would score 21 points. So it's pretty clear the defense wasn't the problem in my prediction. It was they didn't score enough points. If you, By the way, if you get outscored by your opponent in a game, chances are high you're going to lose. There you go. That'll be a nickel. From Adam K 63 when Navy ran their reverse for a touchdown and a halfback pass to set up the game-winning field goal, do you see that as respect from Navy on how K-State was, how well K-State was defending them? No. Yeah. No, I, I see it as – I see it the opposite, actually, Adam. Here's, the, here's why. Navy 
ran that reverse because they recognized how K-State was flowing to the ball, how they were reacting to things. In this case, I truly believe they, they saw the defensive ends crashing down the line of scrimmage loyally. Very And it worked out great for K-State in a lot of plays. The trailing guy might run across the field and make the tackle. But they weren't staying out wide enough to respect the reverse. And that guy was around Wyatt Hubert before Wyatt Hubert knew he had the ball. So, no, actually, I see it the opposite. They They disrespected how they were doing certain things in the defense. That's the beauty of the offense. Oh, you want to do that? We're going to do this. You want to do this? We're going to do that. That's how the offense is built. You can only defend so much, and you will show a weakness after so many reps of running the plays, and they will exploit that weakness. And the halfback pass, the slot back pass, it's part of their game. And they noticed that Kansas State wasn't fully postured to defend. They thought the clock was going to get run out. They snapped the ball. So, no, I think it was disrespectful. Not in a bad way. I think it was like, oh, you guys aren't ready for this. Boom. Here you go. I think, like, I get, the, I get the question. I get why people were saying that in that Oklahoma game earlier this year when Oklahoma was running the trick plays. Agreed. But in my opinion, I don't really, I don't ever, I don't really agree with that line of thinking. Oh, they respect our defense so much that we're going to have to run a trick play. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's accurate. Hell, if I was a coach, I would almost run a trick play every, at least one every game. Make people. Prepare. You're going to catch you. They're going to catch you off guard. You're never going to be ready. That again, I said it earlier. This is the definition is a trick play. You are not expecting it. It's you're, you're almost guaranteed points or at least one big pickup. So, no, I I don't really think that Navy went. Oh man, what they're doing really good. Better pull out a trick play here. Sometimes you run trick plays because you can't solve what they're doing on defense. They were moving the ball. I just ran. You know, unconventional plays because they do that, and they saw that they would work. From Ite and BB, who also won our score prediction thread, picked he was five points off, picked Navy to win. Nice, congrats. Did our defense do their job by holding Navy to twenty points, or no, they did not by giving up three hundred twenty-three yards rushing, ninety-eight passing, for a total of four hundred twenty-one yards? The defense did everything it needed to do to win the game. Absolutely, even if Navy scores on that last drive, that's still twenty-four points. You should outscore that. For me, if Kansas State can score thirty or more points in the game, the chances of winning are pretty good. And and the offense scored seven points. The offense scored seven points. They had one touchdown. The other was on the punt return, and the other you can give some of those field goal points to the offense, but you know they didn't. It was still around a forty-yard field goal. It's not like they moved the ball down to the mouth of the end zone. They they kind of stalled out. I just I, I uh, like I can point to Wyatt Hubert on a couple of plays. Wyatt Hubert had a bad game. I mean, he just he got caught up in it a little bit, but I think everybody got caught up in it a little bit. He couldn't play his game. Yeah, exactly. Wayne Jones had some missed tackles at times or some shocking. Hey, let me hit you with my shoulder. That'll work. So there there were a few things on the defense that I watched and I was like, that's bad. But I didn't walk away from that game going, uh, if only the defense had played better, maybe K-State wins the game. Look, I don't dislike Wayne Jones. I like the dislike the way Wayne Jones tackles. He could be a great player if he'd learned to tackle. I'm convinced he doesn't know to properly tackle at this level. What is this? I'm glad he got embarrassed. Yeah. He tried to hit a guy shoulder high with his shoulder, and the other guy had all the momentum, and he went for a ride. Man, put your arms around someone and drive through their hips. What are you doing? That's, That's so annoying. Weird. From Yo Mama, is Courtney Messingham the right guy? I think he is. I don't think he's preparing enough. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? I don't. I feel like he gets in games, and when A doesn't work, he doesn't really have a thought through B. Just keep pounding A until it works right. again. Right. Or he has a B and he doesn't use it. I mean, they obviously had plays that worked. They had to have a touchdown on that last possession, and they got a touchdown. Now, I think Dalton Schoen said the pass to Wyking Gill was a, was an audible by Skylar Thompson. He switched the play. I, if they're not letting you do something, you have to be prepared to do something else. 
why they didn't run bubble screen after bubble screen until Navy backed out of the box or you broke one, I am in disbelief about. It's in their playbook. Why they didn't, if you want to stuff the box, fine. We're going to go to our three-back set and try to get you with deception just like you're getting us. Nope. Just lined up and kept running the same old plays that weren't working. Well, I, I think Courtney Messingham is a good coach, and I'm not – a lot of people have already jumped off the ship, especially after that game, and I'm I'm not there. Um, I'm I've been one of the biggest probably defenders of him this year, but he does some things at times that make me scratch my head. And I made it very clear on Saturday, excuse me, Tuesday, they played a college football game on a Tuesday. It's so screwy. Um, I made it very clear on Tuesday that. I was blown away by the fact that James Gilbert was not getting more carries after going for 31 yards on three carries. He was averaging 10.3 yards per carry, and he didn't get another carry till the second quarter. And really, he wasn't present till the third. It was just ridiculous. And at that point, it's like he he's cold. I mean, yeah, he, he ends oh. up, he gets, are you okay over there? Oh, my God, it's pouring in Birmingham. Oh, yeah, that, looks miserable. that sucks. Go ahead. Gilbert ends up with eight carries. He still averaged 4.9 yards a carry. So something was going going well for James Gilbert, and yet he wasn't getting. Uh, that's a that's a bad way for him to end his career, and it's not his fault. Um, I thought at times Courtney Messingham, like you said, doesn't really – I don't think he makes in-game adjustments well. I think he has to fix that. And a lot of it, I think, all right, what which side of the ball – has had good in-game adjustments, the defense. defense. Which side of the ball didn't blow everybody away by 40 points before they got to Kansas State? Scotty Hazleton on the defense. Courtney Messingham's never had to do in-game adjustments. Yeah. I agree. I, that's where some – whoa, our lights just flipped on. Well, thanks for fi- fixing that, Zach. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, A lot of the – I, I don't want to say that, like, the North Dakota State thing hurts them, but they're not used to this. And I think that they kind of got – they got their first taste of crap. We're not always going to be better than everybody. Not, that, not in this game, this season. I know, and that just takes a little adjustment. That takes a little – that's a new experience for anyone. That's a new experience. I know he's been an offense coordinator elsewhere, but not in this offense. So what do I do when I need to get a first down in the fourth quarter, get a touchdown in the fourth quarter? There were things that would work. I mean, we saw it. When they ran straight down the field, receivers were open. They ran a wheel route that was wide open, and did they ever run it again? No. No. They Skyler underthrew that ball, and they never went back to it. Why? When they ran patterns that said, I'm a receiver, I'm running fast, run with me, they were open from Philip Brooks on the first possession to Keen Gill on the last possession and the possession in between that they ended up with an interception. Uh, that was because they the guy just literally grabbed a hold of the K-State receiver and put him on the ground because he was getting away from him. When he turned it into a game about your speed and not about them tricking you at the line of scrimmage, you were winning bubble screens straight. Right down the sideline flag patterns, straight up the middle post patterns. Make them run with you. And they couldn't do it. Cordy Messingham had a bad game. He had some bad games at times this season. But that doesn't mean he needs to be fired yet. Right. He had some good games, too. From Exhausted Nihilist, in the lead-up to the game, I noticed a few KSU fan accounts were tweeting about the Purple Takeover of Memphis. From your perspective, did the K-State Beale Street presence live up to the hype? Well, I'll give it to K-State fans. You guys showed out. You were there. They were. And I said 15. Jack thinks 25. Uh, well, I think what was the estimate was like. You said 15? Oh, yeah. I don't. If that stadium holds 57. 61. Is that what they said? That's what, that's what they list. Oh, man. Uh, they had the end zones covered up, and half of what was uncovered was empty. Oh, not on the KSU side. Yeah. Yeah, it was. What? On the KSU side, those wings going up into the air, those were empty. That's a lot of seats around that big bowl. Yeah, but I don't think it was 10,000 less. It, I was mean, four, it was four-fifths full. The Liberty Bowl, no it, the Liberty no, Bowl people no. said that they anticipated 23,000 K-State fans. You're saying 8,000 less than that? I, I don't know where they got their number, but I 
math, looking at how many seats are open, how many are I filled. think there was 25,000 people in that stadium, 15 of which were K-Staters. That's the math, Zach. Oh, I, I think there were far more than 25 people, 25,000 in the stadium. Was that stadium more than half full? Yes. No, it wasn't. No way. The, no way. Those corners of those that big, those wings on those sides were wide open because those seats are so high. The Navy side was probably 10,000 people. It was probably two-fifths full. Okay. It's a deceiving stadium. Then, it's tough to relate. Then I say it was three-fifths full on the K-State side. I'm in the camp that there was over 20 K-State fans, but Sorry. that's me. It doesn't really matter, right? I'll just say this. There was those accounts trying to be funny. Some of them were funny, and others were just trolling K-State fans. I don't ever, I don't understand people that troll their own fan base. That's really my disconnect. It's not about being old. So, okay, Boomer. No, you're being a dick to people that you're supposed to be on the same side with. What's that about? Congratulations for making a, a joke and fooling K-State fans into thinking they were doing a good job. Like, Yeah, I, I can have appreciation for uh, a guy that makes up an account claiming he's a vague bar owner of an unnamed bar. And, he, you know, that's kind of humorous when you go back and look at it. But pretending you're the city of Memphis... I mean, pretending you're a sports writer, I mean, pretending you're someone in particular, that that's just weird, man. The funny joke would have been to do it, to like make Orlando accounts and be like, wow, Iowa State fans are crazy. Like, that's the joke. Or, or Troll your own fans. Or clearly make it a joke. But, yeah. It's just, Whatever. It's uh, stupid. It's stupid. But, yeah. But. I'll say this, 15 or 25, it doesn't matter. It was impressive. Downtown was a lot of K-Staters. You know, it'll never be like it was when 45,000 went to the Copper Bowl or whatever happened in the Fiesta Bowl or whatever other bowls they want to count that were massive. It'll never be like that. I mean, for lack of a better way to say it, you know, the the romance is gone. It was so new and exciting. Now you're a little bit more jaded. TVs are bigger and better. Um, Not driving to Memphis. Yeah, you know, is I mean, better. <laughs> it's better than driving to Phoenix. I'll say that. It's yeah, but uh, it it'll never be the same. It it really won't be the same for anyone unless you want to get out of Iowa. Um, so it, it is what it is. It's still impressive. It was still really amazing to see so many purple people down in the downtown Beale Street area. Kudos to K-State fans. You are still amazing. Last question of the first half from PowerCat Ryan. What is your final Big 12 ranking for the 2019 season? And what is your way too early 2020 preseason ranking? Oklahoma still Oklahoma got curb stomped, and they're still the number one team. Yeah. I mean, they were easily the best team in the Big 12. Oklahoma State, number two? Uh, so I think still think Baylor. Oh, Baylor. How did I forget Baylor? I'm sorry. No, I still think, yeah, Baylor's pretty good. Oklahoma State would be three. I don't know, man. Texas looked good. Damn I was going to put Texas at four. I don't really. Just when we didn't like you again, Texas, you go out and win a game when everyone else lost. Well, that's why I'm not going to put them at, that's why I don't want to put them at three because they did, they did that to Georgia in the Sugar Bowl last year and then almost went six yeah. and six this year. Well, we'll give a tie at three to Oklahoma State and Texas, followed by K State. Yeah. And then Iowa State. Huh. Good for you, Iowa State. Got slapped. Um, tech? No, TCU probably. Then Tech. Then West Virginia. Then Kansas. Did you 10? That's 10. Yeah. I don't know who's going to be the best teams in 2020. I mean, probably Oklahoma State at the top with Oklahoma. I don't think Baylor's going to be good. I mean, I think there'll be like six, seven, maybe eight wins. Baylor looked like a team that knew the coach was leaving. They did. They really did. Some conspiracy know. theories out there that Matt Rule has uh, been lying about some head injuries with Charlie Brewer. Well, so it it didn't look good. Be a great look on the way out. I mean, when they had to, when the officials earlier this season was against Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship, yeah. had to tell them to reevaluate him because when he came on the field, you could see, uh, what's his name, uh, Mike? What's Mike Defee. Mike Defee talked to Charlie Brewer and clearly knew he wasn't right. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's old school stuff, and that's not anything you want to mess with. Now that we have more knowledge, 
Man, you don't want to mess with that. It screws people up for life. Don't know. Look at Marcus Watts. Oh, man, you don't want to be like the guy. Now he thinks his name's Mark. He forgot the us. It's troubling. That's it for the first half of this questions podcast. We'll be back right after this with more of your questions from Wombat Station. Stay locked in. The PowerCat podcast will be right back. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. We now send it back to Fitz in the WTC gig-powered studios. Happy 2020. It is 2020. I'm still waiting for my electronics to go bad from the millennium. Is that ever going to happen? 17 more years. Is that supposedly what's going to happen? That's the next big tech thing. Oh, whatever. But it'll be fixed by then. Nobody's, I'll be dead. Nobody's going to be using technology in 17 years. Wow, that's optimistic. Still around well, let's be real. <laughs> With the things I get myself into, I'll be dead. <laughs> I was doing the math here. I'm thinking, hey, I'll only be in my early 70s. I'll still be teched out. I'll have the hologram phone. It won't be a thing. The personal transporter. Like the, the little window, the little doorway you step through and you're in Orlando. No more driving to Memphis. No more random cars on the road. You want to be somewhere, you end up walking through your portal into a portal center in some other town. Be great. So that's how kids transfer these days. <laughs> I hate the portal. They can just go directly to the next school without even taking a plane. I decided I was going to transfer the next day I was in class at Michigan. If that was a thing when Bill Snyder was the coach at Kansas State, we would have seen K-State suit up in Manhattan and then just walk through the portal into the opposing team's stadium. There would be no traveling, no sleeping in a hotel. You would just leave the stadium five minutes before kick. You would warm up at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. (laughs) And have a portal put in on the field. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to everyone losing their electronics. Me too. I need to. Take my phone away from me. Have you ever thought what happens if we lose our electronics? Well, we go out of business. Oh, crap. Never mind. (laughs) I mean, there is no question about that. GoPowerCat.com ceases to exist. Damn it. Well, the magazine is back. (laughs) (laughs) Now printed on hemp. All those phone calls will be worth it. Uh, this is the PowerCat Questions Podcast. We're sponsored by the Fridge Wholesale Liquor, but we do want to thank Robin's Motor Company for that great Robin's road trip. That was a sweet ride. I know it's my car a year later, basically, but I liked that car. It was silver. It was like a silver bullet. I forgot what it's like to sit in the back seat of a car. That was the first time I'd sat in the back seat since... Prom? What? No. Oh. It... We used to go on road trips. Sorry. What was the last road trip you went on before that? Hell, a bowl game, wasn't it? I don't know. I don't, driving to Vanderbilt or driving to the airport for the Vanderbilt game is probably the last time I didn't sit in the front seat of a car huh. on the way to a game. So it was, it was different. You were a good little traveler. Yeah, D. Scott always takes the back seat. So <laughs> he sat behind me. It was kind of odd. I didn't. I was afraid he's going to do something. Nah, nah, not with his neck pillow on. No, yeah, it kind of locks him up. This segment sponsored by the High Low. I'll be curious to see if there's still a miracle on Morrow going on. Did they de Christmas in the window between Christmas and now? Surely they had it for New Year's Eve. Are are they in the process of de Christmasing as we speak, or will it stay up for longer? These are the questions I need to know. Get to the high-low and tell me what's going on. I need this information. Or I could text them and find out. Or we could go. Although we're 
A very tight schedule. Zach and I get to leave for Oklahoma. Okay, tomorrow. so we get back on Wednesday. We've been like everyone else. We've been screwed up with the Tuesday game. We get back on Wednesday. We had done a post game podcast Wednesday morning and then hit the road, and we ease back into town at nine fifteen. No, eight forty five. Eight forty five. Eight thirty. It was 8.30. I got home before 9. Uh, these guys then went to the Bruce Weber press conference opportunity that was at 3. No, it was at 2. No, it was at 3. No, it was at 11.30. <laughs> it was at 11.30. So they go to that and then come into the office, and here we are podcasting. And then tomorrow they go to Norman because the game's at noon on Saturday. Yeah. Maybe one of the few road trips we go on. We'll see. Got to start winning. If they're not going to be competitive in the Big 12. People don't even want to talk about the basketball team this week. Is there no questions? No. Okay. Good enough. Well, let's get to the questions you did want to ask. Here's Zach. From Claws Out, Balls Out. Oh, yeah. I I know we uh, graduate the offensive line, but they were pretty disappointing. Do we have some hope for better line play next year with some of these guys in this system who will have another spring of reps. I don't know where I sit on this, and that's what I keep trying to tell people is like someone posting, oh, thank God the offensive line is all graduating. They were so bad. And I'm like, guys, they struggled a lot and never got replaced. Josh Rivas was a second-team PFF All-American. Now, granted, pro football focus is not the end-all, be-all. It's a a formula, and the less you play, the better chance you have of – being on a good team, but he was a second-team All-American offensive lineman and couldn't find his way onto the field, so something is up. I'm just saying I I would not feel super excited about graduating five if none of them could could overtake any of these guys um, in practice and things like that. Now, I think think Josh Rivas is really good. I think Cooper Beebe will probably start on the offensive line. I think they'll start uh, the kid out of Butler that they signed. Noah Johnson? No, 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 the one they signed this class. Right. And Noah Johnson, I think, will be the same. Noah Johnson will probably say. Yeah, so, I mean, I think they've got pieces. I think they've got a starting line. It'll be fine. It's not going to be a disaster, but I wouldn't be excited about what's going to be here. And and Coach Kleiman said in the postgame, just kind of in passing about a transfer offensive tackle. So I think they're still evaluating junior college, or maybe they've got someone – in the senior transfer portal that'll step right in for spring football. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. We'll see who uh, who they can put together. I will agree with you this. With this, they they inherited an experienced offensive line that was talented, but maybe not necessarily in what they wanted to accomplish. They weren't quite the same athlete same type of athlete that they want to use on their offensive line. So maybe they'll be better off. It's going to be a construction project. It is the biggest, most obvious thing to watch during spring football, along with the defensive tackle position. But, you know, it's it's part of it. You lose players, and this isn't a surprise. They knew they were starting five seniors, and they've been trying to get guys ready to play. From Naked Pumpkinhead, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Hey. That's kind of what I was thinking. Welcome back. If you had to pick one to replace before next season, would it be the starting quarterback or the offensive coordinator and why? It would be you would replace the offensive coordinator because you can easily go find somebody to to do the job. A lot of people are getting really excited right now about quarterback recruiting. I get it. I think Will Howard is terrific. I don't want to see Will Howard on the field next year. No, Skyler's Does Skyler have flaws? Sure. Absolutely. But he also has some real strengths. Was it his best game? No. I would have to force to answer, I'd say, offensive coordinator, but neither. You just have to learn and grow and move on. You have to get better at what you do. And I don't care if you're a freshman quarterback, a senior quarterback, or a 50-year-old offensive coordinator. You have to continue to learn and get better. Let's go ahead and take the Jordan Brown drop slash bounce pass slash whatever that was out. Just ignore that one. How many yards roughly was that pass to Phillip Brooks that he blatantly dropped? Like 40-yard pass? Mm -hmm. So add one more completion on if Phillip Brooks catches that. Skyler's instead 11 of 14 for 160-ish, 70-ish yards and a touchdown. They win the game, perhaps, with that stat line. You're not roasting him. The first play of the game. Add another yeah. reception and another five 
Look, yeah. I'll be the first one to sit here and say Skyler did not play very well in this bowl game. He was not the offensive MVP. I don't. That was people looking at the box score and going, oh, he's quarterback. I can tell you the K-State beat writers, that was not their vote. Yeah. So I, I'm not saying he play, he was a really great performance in this game, but I just think of the five games K-State lost this year, people always turn to Skylar Thompson. And that didn't make any sense because he had some good games and some losses too. But I feel like Skylar Thompson is getting the Jesse Ertz treatment where it's always the quarterback's fault. Or the Jake Waters treatment when he would throw an interception. Well, you know, he does flee the pocket in awkward ways. He just he needed to stay in there, stand in there, and do a better job with that at times in this game. And, you know, it was just kind of – he always goes to his right. It's I'm sorry, folks, I'm having problems here. Hold on, hold on, we got some problems. Here we go. Uh, he always goes to his right. He's very predictable. He doesn't step up into the pocket well enough. He does the thing that drives every offensive lineman crazy. He steps around the edge of the pocket, exposing himself to the defensive end. It's frustrating. He's got to learn from it. He's got to go back and watch the film and say, why do I do that? Why do I do that? And break the habit. Because he wants to play at the next level. He's, you know, he can be one of those guys that suddenly fixes his problems and is good enough. I don't know. From similar thoughts, who do you see starting game one on the defensive line in 2020? Well, I think Wyatt Hubert will start. I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that Wyatt Hubert will start on the defensive line. Then it's a crapshoot. Drew Wiley will probably play defensive tackle, one of the defensive tackle spots. Um, I think that Kamari Gaines, I can't, I just, I always stumble upon it. I think he'll definitely play. On the or he'll definitely be a starter on the defensive line. Or Khalid Duke, yeah, at the end. We'll get into Khalid here in another question, but uh, I Robert Hintz at defensive tackle. Probably Hintz at defensive tackle. I was the thing with 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 Kamari is I'm trying to figure out you know are they gonna they, they probably keep him at on the on the end there or you or you could put a bunch of weight on him if you wanted to shift him over to to tackle and then but then I don't know who you play at end. I think they've got plenty of options because of the Juco signing. They'll, they'll probably start two Juco defensive linemen, if I had to guess. Okay. Also from similar thoughts, Khalid Duke improved a lot throughout the year. Where do you see him playing next year, defensive end or linebacker? Well, I think he's a rush end. I think linebacker's going to be loaded next year. I mean, you get back Justin Hughes. Don't forget that. I mean, Eliza Sullivan is going to be even better, and he was incredible. Daniel Green's back, and he's going to be better. Yeah, I think he could be one of those guys that is a hybrid and go between the two. I think he's a defensive end, and maybe not an every-down defensive end. Maybe a third-down guy, you know, maybe a relief guy. But if he can get a little more weight on, he's dynamic. End of story. He's just dynamic. That's kind of a surprising one. I didn't – I'll be honest. When they, when they signed last year's class and he came in, I I didn't know he was going to be one of the guys that was going to step in and make an impact like that. He kind of he kind of looked like a project a little bit. Needs some time. But he's really impressive. And uh, you got you to gotta find a way to get him on the field more than, more than this year, obviously. Um, not, th- not that they underplayed him. I'm just saying, like, he, his role is going to increase a lot. And I think he could probably thrive at both. Kind of like a little, kind of Elijah Lee a little bit. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't want to hold him to that standard, but it, it, it seems fair. From Itame BB, please pick one. More traditional purple uniforms as an old-time fan or white uniforms today's kids seem to like? Whatever they want to wear. I just, I'm, I've been consistent from this from the start. I just want the power cat. Now, you can do the alternative home and okay, I just... You guys don't freaking get it, how bad it was before the Power Cat and what it represents to this generation of fans. You almost, at times, you know, by making fun of people that know what that means, you're disrespecting it. And I don't think you intend to do it, but just stick with the Power Cat. Just stick with the Power Cat or at least have a really good reason for picking the alternate helmet. Don't do it because, hey, it's fun. You can have fun with the jerseys, with the pants, with the combinations. Hell, you can do a 
black helmet with the power cat, a white helmet with, I don't, you know, make it cool, but don't get nutty. You've got a really recognizable mark. Oklahoma State, what's their mark? A weird OSU and then 17 different helmets? What's Oregon's mark? That big O, but they also have the wings and the feathers and the duck and the, you know, just... I just think you get, some people get too carried away. You forget who you are. People should be able to turn on the TV and say, hey, that's K-State. And they could even with the all-whites, which were sweet. Maybe a bigger stripe on the helmet, but they were sweet. I want I want the all-whites to become the permanent road. Sue me. I actually didn't like it. Why? Because the, the color of... And it's almost the texture of the paint on the helmet. It isn't completely white when you compare it to the the tops and the bottoms, which are all really white. And the way the light reflected on the, the helmets just look. I think that's an up-close thing it looks, that you yeah. get. And also a function of the helmets really were, what can we get? Yeah. I mean, because they couldn't replace the uniforms this year. They had a, they, the uniforms were what they had. The pants, of course, were new, but those those are pants. Hypothetically, I don't. I'm not saying they have it. Hypothetically, if they have like major jersey changes in the works for this new regime, would we see those this year? Like this coming season? Yeah, it takes oh, a yeah. full year. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I was trying to do the math. Like I didn't know where that because that process probably wouldn't have started until like May. I'm guessing. I would guess that they started last spring. And yeah. And then by September, they had everything finalized. I don't think they'll make I, – I don't honestly – I think we've seen the extent of alternate uniforms that we're going to get at K-State. I disagree. I think they'll go more combinations. Really? I hope they don't go – I don't know. I don't. Here's the cat stripe uniform, and here's the – you know, I, I hope they just don't get – the cat stripe uniform? Yeah, like, you know, like claw marks. Oh, oh. Or I, I don't want them to get too out there with it. I think there's something to be said about being conservative. I've always said this. I, I think it's funny that everyone defended the same uniform over and over and over and over because of the, it was based on the Cowboys, who had, as far as I know, the first alternate uniform. Yeah. And people just kept missing that. If they kept the power cat, would you be okay with them scrapping the current jerseys? Well, but what would you have? I, I don't know. I, I mean, mean like, all right, like if they did something like what Marcus is wearing that picture, like not that. I know that was the Ron Prince jersey thing, but well, if, I, don't, I don't mind that the top. I mean, it's not crazy. I mean, it just takes the stripes. I, off. I mean, just in general, if it was a basic, nothing too way out there, just a purple jersey, but not what Coach Snyder had. Do you guys see that purple, white, purple stripe? Which, as we look at these photos, clearly has changed through the years. The purple was wider. I like that purple on Trance Newman's pants right there. I mean, the three, it's, it almost looks like inch and, and a half even, stripes. Yeah, on, uh, Jonathan Beasley, the His, purple the white stripe is very, wider. very big. That's yeah. sexy. I don't like that one as much. I like the, the one on T. New where they're all about an inch and a half wide, all three stripes, maybe even wider. I mean, I think that sequence is kind of what K-State's known for. It's straight off the Cowboys, but you can modernize it. Yeah. You can cut off the stripe midway, put a power cat somewhere else on the pants. Still looks good. Like, yeah. I, just, I just, I don't want them to, I mean, I don't mind solid pants. I really don't mind solid pants. I think they look kind of cool. And particularly if you have the power cat somewhere visible or or something, I don't know. Maybe the cat's logo. Just give the, me the all-whites again. Get the cat's logo right on the butt. Start off the season the cat's, at home cat's in the all-whites. Like tramp stamp right above the butt crack. I think another reason I don't like the all-white is the pants, like the pants do match the silver pants. They're the silver pants just in white. Yeah. Like, they just, it looks... I like the thought. There's there's critiquing that can be done yeah. to it, but I love the all-whites. I enjoy the idea of all-whites. Become the Dallas Cowboys where you wear your road your road uniform at home, and then the other team wears their home uniform at home, so you get to wear your road uniform more. Do that. Be Georgia Tech. <laughs> would you do a purple? I would do a purple helmet with a white power cap. I don't like purple helmet. I think it would be cool. 
if you can match it to the that's, jersey. That's really the biggest question I have, and I I tweeted this at uh, my friend Brian Bookwalter, whose father designed the Power Cat. No, Bill Snyder is not a graphic designer. Aww. Someone actually did it, and he approved and tweaked, and some of the earlier versions are quite entertaining now that we know what it looks like. You know, Bill Snyder's purple, that Power Cat on the helmet, and you really notice it when they put it on a white field, it's plum. Yeah. It's dark, dark, black purple. And I wonder if they will, if this evolution of the uniforms involves an alignment of the shade of purple with the rest of the school. There is a Power Cat purple. There is a K-State purple. It has a number, has a hex code, has, you know, a mix. We have a, a mix of a, a specific color we use here to get close to it that looks good with, you know, online stuff. It's 8110, by the way. In case from K-State is listening. Um, okay, no black. Uh, but it's really a dark, dark color and always has been on the helmet. But look at the Sproles uniform there. That's Those numbers are purple. Yeah. But the stripes are plum. Dark, dark purple. But on the Ben Lieber, it actually looks like it looks pretty close. It just kind of depends on the, the light and the... It's really the Power look. Cat. You know, look up there, the Michael Bishop. The Power Cat yeah. is so dark. It's so dark purple. And I wonder if they'll align it into the rest of the purple of the rest of the university. Coach Snyder liked a really dark, dark purple. But, Man, we went off on a tangent there. <laughs> so many- I, I know, but th- those are all things to think about. I think if there is a, a change, it might be the purple shade. Now, the, the Colin Klein jersey we're looking at, I think, is color-adjusted a little bit. I think the lighting changed. Did you do that? Yeah, I think I did. I was going to say. I mean, but you can, he's laying in the purple, the Bill Snyder purple end zone. I mean, you can look at the purple on, who's that? B.J. Finney's helmet? Somebody. Yeah, I think that's B.J. Doesn't match. It's plum. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the the weird things about the uniforms: the purples that never matched. And Zach's the same way. He mentioned with the whites. Whatever color you pick, match them. White, silver, purple. They need to match. They need to have the same feel. The silver pants are a flat silver, and the silver helmets are a bright silver. They never have matched. So those things for uniform people kind of bug us. Next. We go into some Jake Rubley questions to end the podcast. WTDD 2001. With the commitment of Jake Rubley, does the 2020 class have the potential to be the best in the history of K-State football? <laughs> That's what uh, I wanted. I put that question in there because I wanted to tell everybody to just like breathe for a second. Chill. Well, in, in defense of the question, it offers a window into how aggressive they're going to be. They did not back down in this just because schools like LSU had offered this young man. They didn't back away from it. They kept after him, and, he, and they sold him on the fit. So I think it's encouraging. I'm not looking for a dramatic overnight upgrade in the type of recruits. Would that be awesome? Yeah, but I don't think that's realistic. I think you get a little bit better here. Bill Snyder said it once, and, and honestly, he stopped saying it because he stopped doing it. With recruiting, you're always trying to get a player who was a who was better than the player they replace. Maybe like freshman to freshman years, not senior to true freshman. Just keep improving with every recruiting class. The next group is better than that group. The next group is better than that group. And and he really did that from '89, you know, to 2000, 2003, into that. By by '98, '99, 2000, '97 to 2000, the players they were getting at K State filled the NFL. And we haven't seen that. So maybe right now um, we can understand that this could be the year that the great NFL draft streak ends. And that tells you all you need to know about where the talent was going. It was slowly eroding. Now they need to build it back up. This is a big get. You get a four-star quarterback, You particularly if they get heavily involved in the recruiting process and start helping you recruit. They've been to camps. They've met a lot of dudes. Look, three-star players go to camps, and they meet three-star players. Four-star guys go to camps and meet four- and five-star guys. So maybe this can help and get some momentum going, but it's one guy, and it's really early. 
Still got. I hate to be the negative guy, but Oklahoma just had a quarterback decommit. It's really early. From Powercat Ryan, is the Rubley commitment an anomaly, or should we expect more four-star kids entertaining K-State offers? I, I think I think you'll see K-State get more involved with bigger targets, and I and I don't think it's out of the question to or out of line to say like, hey, maybe we could get three in a class. You know, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know the full extent of, you know, all the four stars in 21 that they might get. Like, I can't tell you that right this second. But what I can tell you is my opinion of it right now is I have a hard time seeing he's the only four star if he's that good. And I think it goes a lot with what Fitz said. You can recruit it, you can recruit other players as a commit in the class. So I think it really does a lot for the future. But if anything, it shows me that they are – they're not settling with, you know, hey, we're K-State. We're a middle pack Big 12 team, and we build our program on, you know, the three stars type of thing. That works, and they obviously did well with it in North Dakota State, but they're, they're, shooting, they're shooting their shot right here with some of these recruits. I mean, honestly, and, and it How definitely worked. Doing? How you doing? <laughs> hey, uh, they can get more four stars, but let, I'm going to give you a little window into the recruiting rankings game. A bunch of guys sit around a table or a teleconference, and they've looked at tons of film. They've seen kids play at camp. They've seen them run. They've seen them catch. They've seen them throw. They've seen them do drills. They've seen them do a lot of football things, including just very generic video, and we're going to rank them. Here's the best. The, you know, the top ones are five. The next group's four. And then a big chunk are threes. What they don't take into account is all the other stuff that counts to a coach. How are their grades? How are their behavior? How do they fit into the team? Are they good citizens? Are they good people? Or are they head cases? That doesn't really work into the rankings very much unless coaches really are telling the scouts, look, this guy, nobody's going to want him. So it's very possible for programs to get four-star players that others don't really want, despite them being four stars. So you you can get four-star players. They're out there. They may not academically qualify. They may end up beating their girlfriends at some point and getting into the newspaper. They they might have other issues, but do you want them on your team despite the four-star? Despite maybe they're a little bit faster, stronger, quicker, more explosive, more dynamic. And more problems. So they're all out there. What you want to do is start getting in on the four-star kids that the big programs want. And this was one of them. The big programs get their pick of kids. They're not going to go out and just intentionally pick a troublemaker that's only four stars. And I say that if you're an LSU, if you're offering a four-star, it's because you see the upside and you don't see a downside. And just throw this in there, too. There's a chance that they could end up having the 2020 class, you know, Taylor Warner's a four-star. He's not a four-star composite. He was he was a four-star by the rating, though. And they're going to go back. They're going to do another round of evaluations. They might bump some of these kids up. A guy like Nate Matlack might get to be bumped up to a four. I'm not saying he is, but he could. So there's always those extra evaluations late. And just Let's just see what happens. Yeah, I think 21 will be better than 20, and I think 22 will be better than 21. They'll just keep going and going. I'm really bullish on the future of this program. From Autumn Cat, who is the most likely to be groomed in 2020 as the next starting quarterback in 2021? I don't think that Jaron Lewis has a future at this program as a quarterback. I I think the commitment yesterday of Jake Rubley definitely shuts that door. You've got Will Howard, and you've got Rubley coming in later. You've got Nick Oss to kind of be that third string guy if you need him to. You I mean, I know what you're saying, but I've never seen any of them play as K-Staters. I Yeah. Maybe Jaron Lewis ends up being someone you just couldn't predict was yeah. going to be that good. So I don't know, but boy, these are good choices because they like Jaron Lewis. Don't get fooled by it. He might end up at a different position, but they really like him right now as a quarterback, and he's a big reason why you saw other dudes leave. They knew they probably were going to get bumped out of the order. Now it's only gotten worse since then. 
It's going to get competitive, and, and there will be transfers. Kids don't want to compete anymore. But and, it's a good thing if – you want you want this to – if Jaron Lewis says, I want to play quarterback, but I'm, I'm not going to do it here, no. I'm, I'm leaving – Yes, it's not good to see him go, but at the same time, it is kind of good because what does that mean? You have a ton of talent in that quarterback room. You're gonna someone, you know. We were, we were talking. I brought it up in the car yesterday. I was like, "Yo, who's gonna who's gonna start later down the road? You know, Rubley or Howard?" And then you're like, "Well, compete." And I'm like, "Damn, I used to. We haven't ever thought that way for a while because when was the last time K State had two legit like guys that you, there was no clear cut separation between them." I'll say this. If Jaron Lewis is sitting around today thinking, i got to get out of here, I don't want you as the quarterback. Jaron Lewis, I guarantee you, is sitting around today thinking, oh, good. I'll win that competition. I'm gonna, I'll be the starter. You keep bringing them in, coach. I'm going to beat them out. That's what I want to see from a guy that might be the third string. He might be the first string. And, and once it starts getting sorted out, maybe you'll see a kid leave. You know, it, or if you're Texas Tech, it sorts out and the kid does leave because he's clearly the better quarterback and you don't see it still. That's just weird. I, This is really cool. This is cool. They're going out back-to-back. Quality quarterbacks within their system. And Jaron Lewis is a little bit more of an unknown, but boy, in camp, they sure have liked him a lot. They've liked him better than the two kids that have transferred, probably because they needed to switch positions because they were buried on the depth chart behind what they had now, let alone these two guys are bringing in it's pretty cool it's pretty cool it's it's fun to get excited about k-state recruiting rally because it's been a long time since you really got fired up about kids like this pretty wild that's it for the power cat questions podcast we're back from memphis and boy was it a good robin's road trip except for one thing we didn't didn't quite cover victory yeah we'll try harder next time You've been listening to the Power Cat Questions podcast presented by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Power Cat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.